Well, we are wrapping up our Psalm Song series with our second to last one. It means summer is about to come to a close, and it's a sad day. But this song is one that I jam to just about every morning as I drove to school in middle school. So sit back, relax, and listen to some Adele. There's a fire starting in my heart Reaching a fever and it's bringing me out the dark Finally I can see you crystal clear Go ahead and sell me out and I'll let our stuff bear See how I leave with every piece of you Don't underestimate the things that I will do there's a fire starting in my heart Reaching a fever and it's bringing me out the dark The scars of your love remind me of us They keep me thinking that we almost had it all The scars of your love, they leave me breathless I can't help feeling we could have had it
Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh, my word. Nobody writes a revenge song like Adele, right? And this team killed it. They absolutely killed it. Um, wow, folks, you know, when we're picking songs for this series, if you don't know what we're doing, we do this in the summer. We choose a psalm, and then we choose a popular classic or timeless song that we connect to that in hopes that when you hear that song again, you will not just think about what you thought about the first time you heard it, but you'll maybe think about scripture. You'll maybe hear, think about the, the passage that we're going to teach on today. And when you're looking at revenge genre, folks, it is large. There are lots of people who write songs about getting even, right? Settling a score. You're going to wish you never met me, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I don't know anybody who does it with more passion than Adele. I mean, you feel that in your soul, don't you? But at any rate, uh, my name is Janice. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. We are going to be working out of Psalm 37. If you brought uh, a paper Bible with you today, you can begin to turn there. Um, uh, it'll also be on the screen behind me. And uh, if you're going in your phones, you can, you can find it there. Folks, we, we, maybe we haven't been uh, betrayed in the way that Adele was describing, but all of us have had moments in our life that didn't seem fair. They just didn't seem fair. Somebody did wrong. Somebody did us wrong in a way that we would just love to see the scales of justice even up a bit. And, um, and I believe David writes about this in Psalm 37. He writes this psalm in his old age. Uh, later on in one of the verses I'm not even going to get into, he talks about the fact that I am now old. So this is a, this is a reflection back on things that he has learned in his lifetime and some wisdom that he is passing on through this psalm. Read with me. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger. Turn away from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. We're going to stop there. I like to call this uh, the do not fret psalm. And I don't know about you, but over the years, I have camped out in this psalm quite a bit. You know, when something is bugging me and bothering me, and I'm like, I remember that we are told not to fret about things. And, and I kind of like that, that word. I'm fretting about somebody who did something wrong or got away with something. And, and I have to admit to you that in my mind, fretting is a bit of a lightweight offense. I mean, it just doesn't feel that bad. It doesn't feel like a, a heavy-duty sin. It feels like, you know, God is merely suggesting that you just calm down, 
a little bit, you know, chill out a little bit, don't worry about it, don't get too worked up about it. And if I was making a scale of of fretting to all-out rage, it would probably look a little bit like this, right? I think you would start with fretting, you know, something, a little thought is nagging at you, and you're just like, oh, that's terrible. And, you know, maybe you think about it a little bit more, maybe it makes you anxious. That's a term that our generation uses a lot, I'm anxious about things. And maybe anxiousness, you know, creeps up and turns into worry, You know, now you're getting full-scale worried about stuff and to the point that your worry is consuming and now you're thinking about it all the time. You can't think about anything else uh, to the point that it makes you angry. And you realize you now have a real full-scale emotion here. You are angry about something and then when it fully explodes, it turns into rage. That's how I would see this scale, right? Which again, puts fretting way down at the bottom, like not a big deal. In the book of James, the letter of James, he talks about the way things escalate from here to full-scale rage or sin. Here's what he says, James 1, 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It gives birth to this little sin baby. And then when it is full grown, it gives birth to death, right? So there's this escalation of things and we have to decide, right? Temptation is not the sin. What are we gonna do with that? Are we going to give in to that? And I have to admit that I've kind of thought of fretting as annoying, but more like a temptation, not anything we should really avoid, right? However, when you get back to the original language, I don't know how many of you know that the disciples like didn't, write down stuff in English. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm going to stick to the King James like the disciples wrote? No, no, you mean we have to translate. So this is from Old Testament. This is actually Hebrew. So the Hebrew word that is translated into fret in, in our English version, our English language, this is what it really is. The word is chara. And it means, are you ready? To burn or be kindled with anger. Now I'm back to Adele, right? There's a fire burning in my heart and it's reaching a fever pitch and I'm, you know, it's, you're gonna wish you never met me, you know, sort of thing, right? And that's, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot more ominous than fretting. Burning in your soul is a little more ominous than fretting, okay? So, you know, but think about that. It says later in the, in the uh, David says later in verse 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. It only leads to evil. Fretting only leads to evil. Folks, that's the ultimate destination. When we begin to fret about something, when something begins to burn inside of us, it only leads to evil. Whether we're fretting about how others are progressing, when others are succeeding in their ways, whether we're fretting because somebody is skirting justice, they're getting away with sin, I'm telling you, it it, it grows in intensity and it takes you to a destination you do not want to arrive at. You do not want to get there. When has something burned in your heart? When has something begun to burn in your heart? What is worth burning up about? What is it that you maybe consider a righteous anger that that just begins to burn in your heart? See, Adele wrote this song about a relationship gone sour, right? And, and she's burning about an injustice that she feels in her soul. And I, to be admittedly a betrayal by a spouse, by a parent who should have protected you but what didn't, 
by a boss who didn't have your back, promised something and then didn't come through. Goodness, by a professor who said they were going to do something and then they didn't. We've all been there, right? Um, or, a, you know, a friend who said they were always going to be with you. And then they stab you in the back in some way, right? Those kind of betrayals burn in our hearts. And, and there may be coals hidden down there that are in danger of sparking into life because they can be stoked by someone's advancement, right? When somebody does us wrong and they have a bad life, we can get along. But when somebody does us wrong and then they begin to succeed and prosper, there's... We're like, that's not fair, God. What in the world? And we have this comparison. Uh, David says, do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out evil schemes. And we're beginning like Adele to say, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about what we could have had. We could have had it all. And now I may be seeing you have it all with somebody else instead of me. And that rubs salt in the wound. Maybe you thought you could handle the, the betrayal. Maybe you thought you were managing the divorce okay until that person remarries before you do. You know, when I was, uh, one of my first jobs out of high school, I was a seamstress in a local bridal shop, and there were three of us there. There was a little, uh, an older little lady that I loved so much, and then there was a woman who was about 28 years old, and when I met her, she had been divorced five years, and all she ever did was talk trash about her ex while we're working. And one day she, uh, I got to work, and the older lady said, be careful, Jennifer's not happy today. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, she just found out that her ex is getting married. Now, trust me when I say she didn't want him back, right? She did not want him back, but all of a sudden, you know, there was something there. She was not a believer, and there was something there. All, you know, you may think you're getting along okay, and then all of a sudden, maybe somebody wounded you, and now they're pretending like it's all your fault, and you're still burning up about the broken relationship, but they're fine. And they're moving on, and they got a new friend, and they're doing, you know what I mean? And they're acting, and, you, and it just kind of gets you that they're getting along with it. Maybe someone's business ethics offend your sensibility, and yet they're prospering, <laughs> and they're making money, and your business ethics you feel like are holding you back because you're not willing to cheat, and you're not willing to, to you know, skimp on your taxes or whatever. People not only do us wrong, but sometimes in life, on this side of glory, folks, they get away with it. And that's the rub. They get away with that, and that trips our justice meter. Do you have one of those? Do you have this gauge inside of you or this little bell that goes off when somebody gets away with something, and you're like, that is not fair. That is not right. When you see someone who unjustly cuts in line and gets to go first, have you been at a concert or somewhere, and there's a huge long line, and you see somebody run up there and cut in? or someone who gets away with cheating at school, or you see somebody who gets away with bad driving and they didn't get a ticket and you'd really like to issue them one, but you know you don't have the authority, whatever. Um, you know, somebody who just simply escapes punishment for bad behavior. When has your own personal injustice consumed you, right? What trips your justice meter? Now listen, I know I'm taking you down a dark road, and I promise I'm going to bring you back because I think Psalm 37 and David has answers for us, but, but go with me. I want you to think right now, if you had a one-hour appointment with God, if you had an opportunity to sit down with God and have a conversation about the single biggest injustice in your life that has been hard to live with or to deal with that you would like to have resolved if there is resolution still available, or you would just like to say, God... Why did that happen? What is, what is that injustice that you would bring to his attention, attention if you had a chance to sit with God? 
Get that in your head for a little bit. How quickly would you like to see that resolved? How quickly would you like? See, I think we not only want justice, I think we are impatient for it. I think we want it to happen now, right? I mean, we know that God sees and cares about us, but we would like him to act right now. We want him to fix it right now. Fix it, Jesus. And by the way, can I watch? Fix it, and I, and I want a bird's eye view to however you're going to do that. I want to see somebody get what's coming to them. It is in us all somehow. As much as we try to deny it, you know who knows it's in us? Hollywood. I'm telling you, the script outline for most action movies, tell me this is not in us. Are you ready? We introduce the hero. We introduce the villain. We introduce some horrific act to make us hate the villain more. Right? Then we have 90-ish minutes of villain chasing hero, hero chasing villain, never really catching each other. And then we sum it all up with some big showdown where all of the extra characters meet their demise first, and the villain meets his demise in the worst way and last. Anything short of that is unsatisfying. Unless, of course, you're preparing a sequel, and then you let them squeak away and come back for the... Do you know what I'm saying? We all go and see that structure, that outline, because it is in us to see the bad guys get what's coming to them. You know, sometimes when we're watching action movies or my husband will watch an action movie, I'd say, have we saved the world yet? And he would say, almost. You know what I mean? I mean, there's that, that thing that's in us, right? And I'm telling you that there is a guy in Scripture that I love to talk about who also wanted to see his enemies get what's coming to him. And his name is Jonah. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole Jonah story. If you're unfamiliar with him, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament that God had invited to go and preach some Billy Graham evangelistic crusades in Nineveh. And he didn't want to do it. And so he went the other way. Long story short, he spends a few nights in the belly of a fish. He gets thrown back up on shore, and God gives him a second chance. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it, proclaim to it the message I gave you. This time, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, 40 more days until Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> I'm sure he enjoyed saying that. And the, but this is what he wasn't prepared for. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. This was not fair. They got away with their sin, right? He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. Be better for me to die than live. Now, this next verse. If you have a Bible and you permit yourself to write in it, circle it, underline it star it, highlight it, put it in your heart. The next time anger is burning in your soul for whatever reason, this is what the Lord says. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? There are times when it is right for you to be angry. Is this one of those? 
Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah had gone out, are you ready? And sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He camped out in a little tent to watch people get what's coming to them. He was hoping to see fire fall on these people, and it didn't happen. Now, a couple of notes on this before we go back to to Psalm 37. Jonah is perhaps the least enthusiastic evangelist that Scripture talks about. All right? I mean, he is totally not on board with what he's doing. He is compelled, and he is finally obedient, but he is not interested in doing that, and yet God uses him anyway. What a lesson for us. What a lesson for us. Never think God can't work simply because you don't feel prepared to talk into somebody's lives. Because you don't feel interested in speaking the gospel to someone. Just because you're feeling awkward and, and hesitant to face somebody with sin that you see in their life. Never think that God's not going to move. If God is prompting you to invite someone out of a sinful behavior... And to turn to him, never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. God needs our obedience more than he needs our skill, our confidence, or our enthusiasm. That only goes so far. He can work with any of us. Never let that hold us back. The other thing I notice in here is that God is capable of anger, but he gets there slowly. As Jonah says, you're slow to anger, and it's balanced by compassion, We also understand that God relents. He gets to anger slowly and he relents quickly. He forgives much quicker than we can. And he lets people, um, he gives them mercy when they repent, and that means to turn from their wicked ways. But this is the other thing. Sometimes God's mercy seems wrong and it makes us angry. That's the equivalent of us seeing people get what they don't deserve, which is mercy, what they don't deserve, and it makes us angry. Now listen, nobody really knows why Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. We simply don't know. He could have just been a bigot. It could have been plain prejudice and racism. We don't really know. We don't know if a Ninevite came over and married his sister. And he has to see him at Thanksgiving, and that makes him really angry. We do not know what his problem is with the Ninevites, but his bitterness toward them is astounding. But again, before we villainize him, I want to suggest to you that it is in all of us. There is a part in each of us, like it or not, that wants to see our enemies get their due. How many of you ever told on a sibling and then watched to see if they got in trouble? Right? I mean, you wanted to see it, didn't you? I mean, isn't that half the game? You didn't want to tell on them and then miss out on that. You wanted to witness the whooping or whatever it is that your parents do. I don't know these days. I know what we did. But at any rate, I mean, there's a deep-seated satisfaction in being vindicated and seeing justice meted out. But, you know, I'm not sure we would set up a tent to watch, but maybe. I don't know your life, right? Even the most compassionate among us, maybe you're going, you know, I am, I am a gentle person, <laughs> and I have never liked action movies, and I'm not that person. I would suggest that even the most gentle soul in here still does not enjoy seeing people get away with mistreating other people. We wish that they would not do that. We would wish that they would, you know, uh, there would be justice meted out in some way. We certainly don't want them to thrive after they've committed an injustice. So I think we're not only anxious for justice, we get impatient for God to meet it out, especially when we see people living happy little lives. Now listen, that part of us that craves justice, 
I want you to know that comes from God. That part of us that craves justice comes from God. Isaiah 61, 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. For in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So that part of us that craves justice is from God, but that part of us that wants to watch our enemies suffer is not. That is not from God. That comes from a dark place. It is in us, but it is a dark place that the enemy wants to use. And I'm telling you that fretting is fire. Fretting is fire. It is, burns us from the inside out. It is that fire burning in our hearts, reaving, reaching some fever pitch, right? When we're anxious to see someone pay for what they have done, when we want them to pay for the pain that they caused in our lives or someone else's, to even the score, to get what's coming to them, at its extreme, folks, this is what's behind the legal system that it encourages and allows victims' families to watch executions right? That's what that's all about. And those people, seriously, they aren't worse than anyone else. What they want is an end to their pain. And there is this naive idea that if I can see my, uh, the murderer of my child lose his life, that I will somehow get, to get closure and I will somehow end that pain. And yet study after study proves that they are only dissatisfied after that and it never settles the score. It never really does that. Folks, we should never set up a tent not in person or in our mind, to watch someone get justice. Every moment that we wait is wasted. Every moment that Jonah sat out on the hill was a moment that he was not with his family, was a moment where he was not preaching the gospel to someone else, was a moment that he was doing absolutely nothing productive except sitting around hoping and waiting and praying for somebody else to get fire from heaven. And the end result is he becomes suicidal over it. He's like, kill me. I knew you wouldn't do it, God. I knew, you wouldn't, I knew you wouldn't mess this up and forgive these people. It would be like, can you imagine if you had a pastor up here who preaches this big message, does an altar call, and is hoping that nobody comes? Please don't come, because I really want you all to burn. Do you know what I mean? That's really what that is. It's the craziest thing. And, that, and, and that's a very unhealthy place to be, <laughs> right? Jonah needs, he needs some therapy, but whatever, all right? When we're holding on to anger, it actually is hanging out in our head and in our heart rent-free. And I'm telling you, that is space that is reserved for some better thing, some better tenant that needs to live there. And it takes up space. Anger takes up space. When I was in high school, I was in the high school play my senior year, and, um, and um, after the intermission of this play, the second act opened with me and another girl on opposite sides of the stage, and the lights came up, and I said the very first line of the opening of the second act, and then she responded, and we talked back and forth before other characters showed up. All right, this was like in the third, we had a packed house, it was like the third uh, time that we had done this, and so uh, I was in position, and the lights came up, and I said my bit, and I turned around, and there was no one there. There was no one on stage. I am alone in front of, I don't know, 800 people, and I am scared to death. I was not used to public speaking. I only had my line. I didn't have anything else to say. I had to ad-lib in character while I hear her little pitter-patter feet run behind this curtain to get in position. I am livid. 
right? I, when I laid eyes on her and she finally said her line, I am filled with rage that she embarrassed me, that she left me hanging out to dry like that. I was so mortified. And then I learned this terrible thing. While I was feeling so filled with rage, I didn't know my next line. And I was like, I know my line's down cold, but I could not come up with that line until I took this anger and it felt like a physical movement and set it aside <laughs> and forced myself not to think about how angry I was so that I could say my lines. And I could not access the lines that I had memorized until I moved the anger out of the way. And that's the day that I learned that anger takes up space in your brain. Anger takes up space where you cannot be the person you need to be. You cannot access the fullness of who God created you to be when you're hanging on to this anger that's burning inside of you and you're letting it reach its fever pitch and get to full rage, right? You can't do that. And I'm telling you that watching someone receive their, uh, their due about whatever they did, watching will not take away the pain. It will only be more frustrating and unsatisfying. It will either be not enough or too much, okay? It never solved anything. We think that it will. We think it's going to end our pain because we actually just want to be finished with our anger. But guess what? We're not the finisher Jesus is. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He gets to finish that. Justice is not for us to mete out. Ultimately, justice belongs to God. We can be patient because here's the deal. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. David says, listen, the grass is going to wither. They're soon going to die away. The evil will be destroyed. The wicked will be no more. He says, the Lord laughs at the wicked and knows that their day is coming. In the vineyard, we like to talk about the now and the not yet, meaning that we recognize there are things that God wants to accomplish on earth when he says that we pray for God's kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're inviting God to break into our, our earthly existence a glimpse of heaven. And that may be through healing, that may be by fixing something that it, you know, feels out of place, whatever it is, but there is the things that he does now, and there are things that won't be done until later, the not yet, things that will be done in glory. There are some pieces of justice that will not happen on this side of glory. That'll be the not yet. And we think that we want this all to, to come together, but I'm telling you, justice is coming, and God will handle it. He will dish out penalty and mercy at his discretion, and it is way above our pay grade. Way above our pay grade. So, when our hearts are seeking justice or resolution for whatever that is that, you, that God brought to your heart and mind when we were talking a little bit ago, when you are impatient for that, how can we be patient? I think the answers are laid out in this psalm by David. Number one, trust and commit. Trust in the Lord and do good. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this and he will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn and your vindication by the noonday sun. Now it's easy to say, trust and obey and trust. It. I feel like those words are too simple. We almost don't even grasp what it means. And what it means is you believe God can handle it. When you are not trusting God, it means you're not sure he can. So you've got to handle it. Because you're not sure he's really going to step in and do the thing that you want. And God's going to do that in his timing. Now, now, let me speak very clearly to you. When you're forgiving someone and when you're trusting in God, you're not letting somebody off the hook. If there is an abuser in your life that you are struggling to forgive and let go of, you're not saying they deserve to go free. 
Somebody described it to me this way. When we have someone who has harmed us and done us wrong in a way that is still carrying a large wound, we are, when we're, our inability to forgive them is a prison. And they're in the prison and we hold the keys. And we can't forgive them because forgiving them means that they would go free and wander around. And we know we're not going to do that. And God's not asking you to do that. What he's saying is, give me the keys. When we give the keys to God, now God's in charge of that prison cell, and you can go on vacation. You can take a nap, and you can move on and recognize it's not that you're letting somebody free. It's not that you're saying that what they did wasn't bad or that they don't deserve justice. What you're saying is I'm going to let God handle that. I'm going to commit my way to him, and I'm going to let him. I'm going to trust in his timing. And sometimes that only happens over time. Commit your future to God and trust him with it. Number two, David reminds us in Psalm 37 to dwell and enjoy. And I like to call this one by dirt. Dwell and enjoy or by dirt. There's a country song out right now. I really can't stand it, but I love the concept. And it's called by dirt. And it's the idea of settling, getting, get, settling down, right? And, and David talks about the safe pasture, someplace where you can rest, where you distract yourself, strangely enough, by just living life by living a great life. Do you know this is also the word of Jeremiah uh, delivered to the children of Israel when they had been taken into captivity and they were in exiles. They were living in a foreign land as refugees, as prisoners, and they're stuck over there. And this is what Jeremiah says to them in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they can have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, this is fun, seek peace and prosperity of the city to where I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. Can you imagine? You're going to pray prosperity on the enemy who took you away from your homeland where you're living. That's what God is inviting them to do. He's like, you're going to be here a while. Dwell. You know what dwelling isn't? It's not a tent. It's not a camper. It's not a hotel. It's a permanent dwelling. You actually stay there and you settle in and you live life, right? Settle down, plant a garden, eat the produce, pray for the prosperity, do something positive for other people. Focus on living. Focus on living. Put down roots. Here's my question for you. Where has God planted you? And why have you been afraid to put down roots? Has God planted you somewhere and you have been afraid to put down roots? Now listen, I have said this to so many college students over the years. I get it. You come to college and you're away from your hometown. Maybe you have home church back there. Nobody, I hope no church in this town is inviting you to cut ties with that in order to be a part of a church while you're at school, right? As, you know, I mean, membership in a little home church may mean that you have burial rights there. I'm not to ask anybody to give that up. You want to be buried next to grandpa. That's great. But don't spend four years of your life being a free agent just running around. Put down roots for the time that you're here. Settle in. Figure out where your gifts are used. Participate in the community of Christ. Be accountable to one another. You do, you, nobody dares to spend four years just floating, right? We need to get plugged in wherever it is. 
And I don't know, who, you know, who that is. Some of you maybe are afraid to commit to that person you're dating and you're not ready to put down roots because you're like, oh, I don't know. Figure it out, right? Don't use perfection. Oh, I don't know if that person is perfect enough. I don't know if that church is perfect enough. I don't know if that job is perfect enough. Perfection is the shield that keeps us from wanting to get involved. Now, don't check your discernment at the door. Discernment is a gift from God, right? Discern where he wants you to be, but buy dirt and dig in. We are not designed to be free agents. I love football, and football is coming, but I'm telling you, you're not designed to be a free agent roaming around looking for a better option, a better payout. You don't also don't join a team with a caveat that I'm never going to play. I just want to sit the bench in the back. Leave me alone. I'm just going to come long enough to wear the jersey, and that's it. God did not design us to be drifters or spectators. Buy dirt and dig in. Number three. Take delight. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So many people have memorized this as a formula for getting what they want. It has never been meant as a formula for that. It's not money that you put in a vending machine and you bang on it a little bit and then your candy falls out, right? This is what delight actually means. Listen to the way it's referred to when God delights in us. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. See, when God delights in us, he rejoices over us. It's his affection for us. So when we delight in God, it's not like checking off the list. I read enough Bible, I attended church, I did the things, I did whatever. That's not delighting in God. Delighting in God is falling in love with him, which is a hard concept, I get I remember being a child and going, I know that I, I, I've surrendered my life to Jesus and I know what it means to love my parents, but how do I love this being that I can't touch or be close to? Folks, that's something you learn over time by opening up your heart to that. And invite the Holy Spirit to show you what that relationship is like. It's not a list of things that you do that get you closer to God. Those put you in places to experience it, but that's not it. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, here's an interesting thing. Taking delight in the God is not a formula for getting what you want, but it is a formula for adjusting your desires. You will find that when you find joy in God, when you take joy in him, you will find your desires changing. I love sugar, but when I eat sugar, I crave more of it. When I quit eating sugar, I crave less of it. My activity on the front end affects my appetite. It affects my palate. It's the same way, taking delight in God right? We'll change your desires. When we first planted the church, my husband used to say all the time, we're, we're coming in here and we are inviting God to wreck our lives. We're inviting him to wreck our lives. Maybe we've been following Jesus for 50 years, but we're inviting him to wreck it. Just take us and turn us inside out for you, God. Whatever it is you ask us to do, that's what we're going to do, just like we were singing earlier, right? That's what we want to do. So finally, when we're impatient for justice, this is the last one. Number four, be still and wait patiently. It is possible to wait without patience. Patience is a way of waiting, and it truly is reflected in stillness. It truly is reflected in stillness. A sign of patience is being still. A sign of impatience is activity. Have you ever been waiting for something important, like uh, uh, someone to come out of an operating room and tell you about somebody as to how well they're doing, or you're waiting for a pathology report, or you're waiting to hear if you got into a particular school, or you're waiting, whatever it is. Do you notice what people do? They fidget. 
They fidget, they, they tap their leg, or they bounce their fingers, or they pace, or they flip their eyes around, right? Those are, those are activities when impatience is demonstrated in our physical being. The patience God is inviting us to is peace. It's peace, right? He invites us to a patient that is a patience that is still. So what have you been fidgeting about? What is it that is that has caused fretting in your life? Let's come to our feet. If you've never been here before, let me explain how we like to close out our services. We want to give people what we're hoping is that you will encounter God in a very real way. And one of those ways, we believe, is through uh, some prayer and some ministry. So um, in a minute, I'm going to mention a few things. And if that's God speaking to you, I'll invite you to come forward. And I'm just going to pray over you in a general way. And then we have prayer team members who will come up uh, from behind and, uh, and pray individually over you if you want that. And then we're going to have a closing song while all of that is going on. So if that's not you, you can, you can stand there and, uh, and pray from your seats and pray over people as you enjoy this last song. So here's what God was bringing to me as how we would close. Some of us are fretting. I didn't even get that word out in first service and somebody was up here. <laughs> they were already up here. You know, you, you know who you are. You are fretting about something. It could be serious, it could be small, it could be old, it could be new. It could be something that's way back there. Whatever it is, you're fretting. And you know that as I was speaking, the Holy Spirit brought something to mind, that one injustice that still bugs you. And if you're honest, it just boils you up a little bit. Maybe it's been buried for so long. If that's you, can you come up here so that I can pray for you? Is there somebody fretting about something? There you go. Come on up. Come up a little bit close so that people can come up behind you. Yeah, just stand here. You're fine. Anybody else? There's something in you that is an injustice that's bugging you and you would love to see it settled. And you don't, you don't want that darkness in your soul. You don't want that fire in there and you would really like that doused. Well, these people are still coming. Some of you really resonated when I said it's time to buy dirt. And you're like, oh no, I've been, I've been holding out and I'm afraid to commit or I've been hesitant for some reason or another. If that's you, can I get you to come forward? Can I pray over you that you would dig in and build a house and settle wherever God is telling you to do that? In a relationship, in a church, in a location? Is that anyone? And then finally, justice is coming for all of us. It is. Justice is coming. And as much as you would like to see someone else get their due, the reality is God has offered all of us mercy. He's offered us mercy, and maybe you have never really said yes to Jesus and received that. And that's you this morning. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus in the way that we watched these girls who were baptized this morning, and you know that is you, and maybe everyone around you already thinks that you have, but you know in your heart you've never done that and you want to declare your intention to live for Jesus today. Is that you? Can you come forward and let us pray for you? All right. Uh, prayer team, can you come up behind these uh, people and begin to pray for someone that God directs you to? Make sure nobody gets missed. And as that's happening, let's all uh, just uh, be in prayer. Let me pray over these, these people. God, right now, I just, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with the injustice that, 
that this represents of so many different kinds. I don't even know what these struggles are and what the pain, but, there, but it's pain. I know that, that there's pain and the pain has produced anger. And God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come and douse that anger and put out those coals. God, that that anger, the, even the righteous anger would be settled and they would be able to leave it and be able to rise up in newness of strength that whatever has harmed them would not be infected but would merely be scars that represent the work you have done in their life. God, we're not asking that everybody forget everything that happened, but we ask that they would get to a point of forgiveness that allows them to move forward in a way that they are not stalemated, that they are not paralyzed at this place in their life where they're stuck, where they're not able to access the, the life that you've given them because they had so much room for the anger that's sitting there and the injustice that's taking up room in their lives. So God, come, Holy Spirit, come in this moment and fall on these people. Fall on them, Jesus. Bring your power. Wash them. Wash them, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you stay up here for a little bit and nobody prays for you, put your hand up and somebody will find you.